I want to welcome you here again. This is just a statement of truth, what we've been singing. Our King Jesus is alive, his church is alive, and through him you can have life. Amen? That's an encouraging reminder. If you were here last weekend on Resurrection Sunday, there were evidence of life all around. Uh, for one, it was clear through the word that we serve a Savior who is risen and coming again. That there's, there's hope in that. If you were a part of worship, you saw the joy and the excitement in the choir and the band. Let's, let's praise God for their efforts last week. Their great job. Man, if you missed that, go back on YouTube and watch that. Just in, inspiration. I was so inspired by just their faces as they gave uh, praise to the king. You, you could see uh, just excitement within families. There were two new babies, brand new babies in our midst. There were three baptisms last Sunday. There were new guests at all four services. You, you could see life in your generosity. Give you a little update on the offering of hope. We set a goal for the offering of hope uh, to be 24000 You exceeded that tremendously. You brought in and gave generously over $30,000 for the offering of hope. Let's praise God for that. That's, that's incredible. There was life among us with people that returned we haven't seen for a while. Over 1,100 people worshipped with us last weekend, and over 350 different people have joined us online since Sunday uh, to celebrate that Jesus is alive. Uh, the, the good news is we are growing. And, and really, there should be no surprise about that because healthy, living things grow. It's just a reality. You see it in seeds this spring. Uh, you see it in mushrooms. You see it in trees. You see living things are growing. And we believe here God's going to lead us to continue to grow out, to continue to grow deep, and to continue to grow young. And that'll be the focus that we spend a lot of time the next year. Uh, this month we're going to be focusing on growing out. But here's the premise of all of this put together. We believe the church is going to grow out when we witness with the gospel, the good news. We're going to grow deep when we devote ourselves to the word, and we're going to grow young as we walk with one. That one is often just one step behind you in their faith, but as we walk together, we're going to continue to mature and develop. You can see that and even in this logo of the shirt. Uh, the, the tree foliage represents that we're going to be continuing to grow out and provide refreshing to the world and hope. The roots uh, signify that we're going to grow deep into his word. And the body of the church is us as we continue to grow young. You can see uh, in, in the picture of the logo that there are actually members of the body that continue to sprout up. You can see us growing out through personal invitation. Just this morning, I met a gentleman in the hallway that was invited here this week by a friend. He's like, I'm who you talked about. I wonder how many of you uh, were invited to maybe vacation Bible school, to camp, or to church, or you were invited just to talk about Jesus at one point or another with a friend. Raise your hand if you're ever invited uh, to some aspect of your faith by a friend. It's most of us. Uh, for me, it was my mom. She invited me to church every Sunday for a long time. <laughs> but if you think about it, most of us have this relationship that helped you encourage your faith. We, we got to keep doing that. Uh, while there are amazing things of technology and social media, do you know the number one factor in evangelism growing out is you? And personally, talking to a friend about Jesus and what he's done for you. We're going to continue to grow uh, deep through daily uh, Bible study. I I've been enjoying uh, studying this month uh, the Gospel of Mark. It, it came alive to me again. Right now we're in Nehemiah, and it's been encouraging. We also have opportunities to grow deep in this time, but in Sunday school and Wednesday night in, in home-based Bible studies. Guys, we need to be growing deep in his word. 
Nehemiah 6 from today's reading says this, I am engaged in a great work. There were people that came around Nehemiah as he was uh, trying to build up uh, the, the wall around Jerusalem. And they were like, hey, why are you laboring so hard? Why don't you just give up? He goes, man, I can't even talk to you. I don't have time. Uh, what I'm doing with God is a great work. And you need to realize the work we have alongside of God to grow is a great work. We also see evidence of growing young. Man, I, I, I love the fact how we're growing young. You can see it in our young leaders, like Ben Allen, who leads us in worship, and Ben Harris, uh, he was right over here. You'll see him a little bit uh, later in communion. These are our two young pastors that, that have been entrusted with great leadership, and they are helping us to grow young. I, I love to see our young elders, a, a, a new crop of elders that have come on board this year, and we're growing younger in that way. Uh, but as much as all of that is a blessing, I, I love to see our students serving right now, uh, students in college leading us in worship at, in high school. A uh, uh, young man, Wyatt, led on the drums for the very first time ever in adult worship without his uh, um, student band. And aren't you thankful to see these young people leading so well? That's amazing, isn't it? But sometimes we don't see them. They're serving right now in our kids' wing. Junior and senior high students are growing young alongside toddlers and elementary students and they're serving, and I'm so appreciative of that. If you want to get plugged into any of those areas, you may say, well, I'm a young at heart person. Uh, maybe you're 14, or maybe you're 44, or you're 104. There's a place that we can grow together as you walking alongside someone just a little younger than you, and we grow together. I love to see us growing young, but God wants us to grow. God never envisioned a church that was going to be stagnant. If you're like, I think that's theologically incorrect. Show me in Scripture where God's like, I would like my church to be stagnant. God never uh, designed a church to just sit back and be comfortable. In fact, oftentimes when the church was, was really flourishing, it was whenever it was uncomfortable, it was difficult, and God's people trusted him. God is the one who causes the growth in everything. And this month we're going to focus on growing out. And, and I believe when we cooperate with God, we're going to grow out best not through some new and trendy program, but when we witness with the gospel, the good news. Now, programs and activities are helpful, but there comes a point where we have to share people the hope of Jesus, that he died for our sins, that he took upon uh, our punishment and our sins so we might live. We'll grow out when we share that. Peter had just confessed, we see in the life of Jesus, he says, hey, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's talking to Jesus and Jesus says, hey, on that truth, on that testimony, on that witness, I am going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What a great testimony. Uh, Peter, a great preacher, uh, Jesus says, hey, the most simple truth that you confess that I am God's son and I have came to save, save the world is what I'm going to grow the church on. Peter believed that. I wonder if you do. Uh, and Peter could say it. You can say it as well. Sometimes we had a, a wrong perspective, at least I have, of this passage. I saw this as almost like a, an insurance policy against evil. Like, as long as I trust Jesus, um, the gospel is going to protect me uh, from evil and the gates of hell. That is not what it's talking about here. It's talking about, actually, when we proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Son of God and our Savior, the gates of hell can't stand against us. That, he, God flips it. The church needs to get past the point where we're playing safe, uh, safe defense, but it's time for us to go on the offense and grow out with the gospel. Look what it says in Psalms 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. 
We're called to labor, but partnering with God, doing it his way. The world will struggle at times to even understand why you would want to labor. And some, you may have come here today and you're like, I came to church to get rest. And there is rest and there's peace among the gospel. But as soon as you have rest and peace and you know forgiveness, we're called to share it. We're called to labor with that. There's no greater work to, to, to be involved in. And it's not in vain, but it's for God's glory. The world will struggle to see that, though. We saw that in Nehemiah this week in chapter 2. Nehemiah begins to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem that had laid just in rubble. And people started to mock him and scoff at him from a distance. He's like, Nehemiah, give up. You're never going to complete this. It's, it's a waste. Why, why do you work so hard for this? And here's what he, he shouted back at the crowd, his naysayers. He, goes, uh, he, he says in Scripture, I shout back, the God of heaven will make sure we succeed. Where his servants and you were, were going to work rebuilding. We're going to do it, he says. You can stick to your own business. You get no say in this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem's none of your business. So these people that declare that they can't do it, he says, I am going to work with God's team, and through his power, we will succeed. I want you to know, I firmly believe, just as much in the day of Nehemiah, God is going to have his church succeed at rebuilding and building his kingdom for the sake of the cause of Jesus and people being saved. And people aren't always going to get it. But when we cooperate with God, he makes it grow. Look at what Paul says. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. For we are God's co-workers. Don't miss this. We, we'll labor. Uh, we'll get to work. There's teammates involved. But God is the one who makes it grow. He's been making it grow and he'll continue. And we are God's co-workers. So I've got a question before we transition on. Who is ready to be a co-worker of God? Let that sink in for a minute. I, I love working with Dee and the rest of the staff and, and, and the new young Bens and, and Gina that we're going to celebrate in a little bit. And the, the team is great here, but we don't need to miss this. We are God's co-workers, each and every one of us. Whether you're on staff, whether you're an elder, or you're coming to give your life to Jesus today, we are co-workers with God. So let me ask you again, who's ready to be a co-worker with God? Amen. It's an exciting time. I had a few people, though, ask, why would you focus on grow out first? Why are you placing an emphasis on growing out when, when we're in such delicate times, such persecution, such opposition to faith? We should grow deep before we dare to grow out. Why would you focus on growing out first? It's a good question. I think we get our marching orders from Jesus in this. While we're always going to be growing deep and, and growing young, we've got to grow out. It's the command we see from Jesus. Look to the text, to Matthew 28. This is known as the Great Commission. It's where Jesus instructs us what we're to be doing. It says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. I see this as a similar word to, to, to go out, to grow out. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. There's a part of deep in that. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So why would we focus on growing out first? Because Jesus said to. He says to go out from this place. Don't just play it safe, but, but go out and teach them everything. And he says, uh, there, there's got to be a time where you take people from a position where they're lost and don't know me uh, to following me because I'm the only way to have life. 
Here's the reality. As we leave the building today, as we encounter people in Greenville, Bond County, maybe you go to a trip to St. Louis or you're on a journey and you're going to go around the world today. People we come into contact with, the majority of them don't know Jesus and they are headed to hell. It's not because they're worse people than us. It's just they have not been forgiven of their sins. They haven't accepted Jesus as, as their Savior. So we must share with them the good news So let me ask you some questions about this order, this commission to go out. Who is called to go out with the gospel? Everyone. Every follower of Jesus has been commanded to be a part of the team to go out. But you're not alone as you go out. Not only are we a team together, as Nehemiah built the wall, we're doing this together. Jesus says, I will be with you when? He says, always. You're not going to be alone. Jesus, his spirit, and the Holy Spirit are going to empower us forever. So we are his co-workers. And he's given us this great commission to go out. But honestly, the great commission has turned into maybe the greatest omission the church has ever dealt with. One of my favorite responsibilities as a pastor is to be your encourager, uh, your teacher, to celebrate things. I just, I love celebrating your generosity just now. Uh, But there's also a a time where I I get to be as your coach, a challenger. And the reality is uh, the church in general, not just here, but globally, especially the United States, has ceased to look at the Great Commission as something we do. And it has become the great omission as something we ignore. And that's what we pay the staff to do. An omission is something you ignore, you, you, you omit And it's just a reality. A recent survey asked non-Christians, non-believers, if anybody ever shared their faith with them. And only 29% of non-Christians have ever had a Christian share with them how they could become a follower of Jesus. Only 29% of people in the world who are lost have ever said, anybody's ever tried to share their faith. And we're supposed to be doing this every day. The church worldwide has not been growing out. Only 20% of Christians say they have a spiritual uh, ability to pray for someone who's lost. Only 20% of Christians say, I pray for someone's spiritual health that is a non-believer. If we're commanded to grow out, why aren't we doing it? But we've ignored it. Maybe not here, maybe not always, but the general theme is to sit back and, and say we're safe, we're comfortable. But when we ignore what we do, you know what it is? Sin. When we ignore what we're told to do, what we know is good, it's sin. It's not my opinion. Look, it says it in Scripture. James says this, remember, it is sin. I like it when it just makes it plain. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. That's a sin of omission. It's real plain to see sometimes maybe a a car is on fire if you'd sit there and just watch the people uh, maybe be consumed by the fire and all you had to do was go uh, knock out the window with a brick and they could escape, that, that would be a sin of omission, of, of knowing you should do this but doing nothing. But much the same way, we see a world uh, headed uh, to condemnation forever and we're not doing much at times. For far too long, I think the church in general, not just our church, but the church globally, and we can make a difference with this, has focused on what we're not going to do versus what we are going to do. We've gotten really good at declaring this is a sin and this is a sin, and we don't do those things, and we forgot to do the right things, the good things. We've been doing a a, a lot of things that, that maybe we should be focusing on more, namely growing out with the gospel. In fact, I pray 
that we begin to be known more for what we do for the sake of the gospel and saving people than what we don't do on Friday and Saturday nights. Just let that sink in for a little bit. I pray that we as a community of a church family here at FCC would start to be known what we radically do to save someone than than what we're not willing to do on Friday night for the sake of being uh, uh, holy people. Now, don't get me wrong. There's no place for sin in our lives, in our families, in the church. Uh, The gospel, uh, the good word says in Romans chapter 6, should we go on sinning? And Paul says, by no means. Uh, Let sin die with you. You're dead to sin. But then Paul pursues passionately those that are lost in sin for their sake. I wonder what you would be willing to do to reach a friend with the gospel. I mean, where would you go? I mean, you can't just say, well, I would invite them to church. They can sit with me. Is that radical? What would you be willing to do? Where would you be willing to go so that your friend could know the love of Jesus? I wonder what this church would be willing to invest in with our resources, with our time, with our reputation to save someone that's lost. Because really, that's what it's about. My pursuit of a friend took me to a strange place one time, especially for a preacher. I was in a relationship with this family, and they had three kids. And the kids started coming to Wednesday night youth group and Sunday night youth group. And I was uh, kind of the youth pastor and the preacher at this time. And the kids were involved in all these activities, but it really wasn't impacting their life very much. They were just having a good time at church with their friends, which is fine. Their dad was not interested in anything, really. Mom would follow dad's lead in a heartbeat, but he's like, no, we don't want anything to do with church. So they they would drop their kids off at these random events, and and that was good. We were growing in relationship. I started hanging out with the dad of the family more and more. Found out that he really liked to go to the Hersher Pub on Thursdays for the pot roast sandwich, and it was amazing, by the way. So I started going on Thursdays to the pub and have the pot roast sandwich with this guy for a little over a year every Thursday. And we just shared ideas and thoughts and had conversations. And then my prayer was answered. He says, you know, Tyson, I think the family and I are going to come to church this Sunday. And in a short amount of time, after all that development of pot roast sandwiches over lunch on Thursday afternoons at the Hersher Pub, he gave his life to Jesus and was immersed and had his life made brand new through Jesus Christ. And not in a very long amount of time, those kids that had been exposed to God's love for a long time also followed his example, and they all gave their life, including his wife, to Jesus, and they were immersed. And don't get me wrong, it had very little to do with the pot roast sandwich, but it had everything to do with me pursuing this gentleman in a relationship, and you can do the same thing. Now, during that time, there were some questions floating around Hersher. Do you know where the, the preacher is on Thursday afternoons? Well, he's at the local pub. I will tell you, I had a Coca-Cola almost every time, okay? If I didn't have a Coke, I had a glass of water. Uh, My ability or desire to drink alcohol did not affect my ability to have a conversation with this man, but we had to be in in a proximity to share. So who was involved? Who were we reaching? Any and everyone. Where are we going to go to grow out? I think the answer is everywhere. Where are we called to grow out? Look what the text says. In the Great Commission, Jesus says, go into all the world. In Acts chapter 1, Ben just alluded to this just a minute ago. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, there's going to be no limitation to where you go. 
You're like, well, I, I don't know if I should go to Jerusalem. You don't have to. Your Jerusalem is, is Greenville, likely, or it's Mulberry Grove, or it's Pocahontas. Uh, your uh, uh, Judea is probably Bond County, and then uh, Samaria is likely Illinois, and then the ends of the earth are the ends of the earth. So where are we to go? Everywhere. Well, when can I start? Today. You don't have to go on a mission trip around the world to have an influence to someone for the sake of the gospel. In fact, where I think you're most influential is where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you play sports, where you do your shopping. You can be an influential person for Jesus Christ that he saved you and he's changed your life and given you a hope that changes everything right where you are. It's often in your home or your backyard or the local pub or the local McDonald's. Where are you going for Christ? Go where he's placed you now. So why are we going to grow out with the gospel? Because we're called to. We are God's co-workers. We've said this again. I don't want you to miss this. God, for some reason, in his vast wisdom, has chosen people to share the good news with people. And you're people, as far as last time I could tell. And we're called to find other people who, who need that, that message. And how can they respond if they haven't heard? Look what he says in Romans 10. Paul says this. How can they believe in Jesus if they've never heard about him? How can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And I think you can. You can reach someone with the hope of Jesus better than even I can. You're like, I don't know. Now, now, you may not know all the answers they have, nor why, but you can share your initial thoughts better than I ever will with your friend. I came across this statistic this week, and it, it really is powerful. Did you know that 75% of non-Christians say they would listen to a close friend about their faith? So that means three out of every four of your close friends will listen to you about your faith. How many would listen to me about my faith. From my experience, if I don't have a faith with him and I just go start talking to people, it's about one out of ten. The rest of them run away from the preacher. I'm being honest. But your close friends will listen to you share about your faith. And then if you get enough faith, you can bring them to church and they might listen to me. But you know who's going to have the most impact? I'm putting the responsibility where it lies. It's on you to share your relationship with Jesus. If you take it even one step further, this is exciting also. 50% of non-Christians say they are willing to discuss matters of faith with that same friend. So one out of two of them are ready to actually have a conversation. In fact, they want to have a conversation. They're waiting for you to have a conversation, but they don't know how to bring it up just like you. So you just need to start sharing your faith, sharing what God means to you. You can do that to reach your friends for Jesus. So when do we need to be growing out? We know that we're all called to. We're all called to go everywhere. Uh, when do we grow out the gospel? It's always. It's pretty simple. It's always. Look what the Word of God says in 1 Peter. Love how it makes it simple again. Look, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Not just on Sunday morning, not just on the times where you're scheduled uh, to, to represent Christ. We're always to be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have. But he says, do this with gentleness and respect. It's not always easy, but we're always to be prepared to share our hope. Paul also tells Timothy, preach the word, share the good news, be prepared in season and out of season, and in, all in between. So he's telling uh, Timothy the same thing. He says, always be ready to share about Jesus. 
Be, be ready to share the hope we have at all the time. And pray that it helps. A few years ago, our family was really growing relatively fast. Before we knew it, Tiffany and I had reached a, a party of seven status. I don't know if you understand that. You know, you go to a restaurant and they'll say, how many? And they'll be like, party of four. We got to a party of seven relatively quickly. And, and I was like, maybe we should slow down a little bit. So Tiffany and I began to pray about that. And we discussed the reality of, of our life being pretty fast-paced and exciting with the church and with the boys and sports and a, a new daughter. Um, and we were like, we're, we're, God's blessed us. We're going to really focus on who we are now. And, and we made a decision to kind of put a halt to having more Grabers running around the neighborhood. You can fill in the blank with the rest of the story, okay? So what happened was I scheduled an appointment with a local doctor in town to, to kind of help with that situation. It's a sensitive matter, but as I was in the office, just, just trying to be very focused on getting through the procedure, I told myself, hey, I'm not really talking to anybody, I'm not really looking at anybody, I'm just here, and I'm going to get in and out. Strangely enough, the doctor was running late that day, so the nurse uh, decides to come in and just have small talk. I'm like, great. <laughs> this idea is totally shot. So I'm talking to her, uh, ready for the procedure, not wanting to have eye contact with anyone. She's asking these personal questions. She starts out with things like this, what brings you here today? I was like, well, we've got five children, life's exciting, we're blessed. And she asked a few more questions, and she was wondering about just our life. And she says, well, where do you work? And I said, well, I'm a pastor, and I'm a coach. I pastor at Hersher Christian Church, and I coach there at the high school. She's like, man, that sounds like a full life. And I said, man, life is good. And I told her a little bit just about the joy. I mean, just excited about life. And then she told me she had recently been married, and life wasn't good. She's having a really hard time with things. And she began to be a little emotional, and I asked her a little bit of questions about this. Remember, I wouldn't want to talk to anybody. And then, and then she said a very specific thing. I said, man, let's pray about that. And I said, if you focus on this, if you give this to God, you will find relief and hope and peace. The doctor came in, and I went about the, the business. And I stayed focused on just getting through the moment. Uh, that was on a Monday. That Sunday, I was preaching about restored relationships, specifically between husbands and wives. And after the service was over, I was at the back of the church just kind of greeting people. And a young couple came up to me and this woman and a man were both talking to me, thanking me for the, uh, the message. And, and I thought the lady looked familiar. And I said, man, where have I seen you before? You look really familiar. Do I know you from somewhere? She says, yes, I was your nurse for the procedure on Monday. And I turned all shades of different red. And she went on to say, she said, I'm so thankful that you took time to pray with me. And we were here today and we'll be back. We're not going to give up. We need to be ready to give the answer for our hope, always, all the time. No matter where we're at, no matter what we're trying to focus on ourselves. I, I wonder when you're uh, sometimes tempted to run through life so fast where you're not sharing, you're not talking, you're not listening. Always be ready for the reason we have hope through Jesus Christ. So let's transition into this. So how, how, what type of people are we when we're sharing this hope? And we're, we're well over halfway done, but I want to get to the main text Turn with me, to, if you have your Bibles, to John chapter 4. We're going to see Jesus offering to a hope, uh, hope to a woman that we know well. At, uh, a woman, we know the woman at the well. And in John chapter 4, he encounters a Samaritan woman. And let's see how he relates to her, what he does. We're going to grow out with the gospel like Jesus. Look what it says. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, 
His disciples did. I, I think that's something to take note, especially in just a minute. You're going to see a, a, a baptism. Uh, last week you saw three baptisms, and none of them were done by a paid staff member, uh, uh, an ordained clergy person. I, I find it very interesting that when people lead someone to Christ in the Bible, you know who often baptized them? The people that led them to Christ. Jesus didn't have to do all the immersing. Uh, immersing. While, while I love immersing people in the name of Jesus, it gives me great joy to see others do it as well. We, we see it's a practice that Jesus lived out. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Now, a little bit of background here. This woman is coming to the well at noontime. You want to know why? She didn't want to be there with anyone else. She was a woman with a bad reputation. She knew every time she went to the well and other ladies were there, they whispered, they mocked, they looked at her and stared. Also, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. <clears throat> Most Jews never did this. The reason I believe he had to go through Samaria is God's will led him there. It's kind of like going to the pub. There, there's a draw. There, there's a reason you're there. Jesus went to this well uh, this day at noon for this woman. Look what it says next. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone to the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Here's the first thing we see Jesus doing. Jesus grew out by caring for this woman. He was willing to slow down and have a conversation with her. In fact, he was willing to care for her by first opening himself up to be cared for by her. I think the old saying is very true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Jesus knew everything about this woman already. He knew that she had been with five Husbands and the man she was now sleeping with wasn't her husband. He knew her past, her present, her future. Yet he didn't start with all that he knew. He started with meeting this woman based on their shared need, water. And he cared for her. We could do all the evangelism training between now and the end of the year. You could get all the knowledge. But unless you care for lost people, unless we as a church really care that people are dying and going to hell without knowing Jesus, all the training that we could do doesn't matter. So here's my question as we begin to make a transition day to be done. Do you care about lost people? I'm glad two people do. I know it's an awkward thing to respond to. But unless we care about lost people, all this other thing that we do doesn't matter very much, if at all. But because we care about lost people, the first thing I'm going to share with you to do, and you can all do this, is care for them. When they're thirsty, give them water. If they need food, uh, try to meet their needs. If they just need a friend to talk to, care for them. That's what Jesus is doing. All throughout Scripture, before Jesus does teaching or training, here, here's what he does. He often feeds people. He heals them. He talks to them. And I know you can all do that. He takes the caring, and he takes it one step further. He connects it. We're going to grow out like Jesus connecting people to their need to the good news. Here's another simple thing that you always need to be reminded to do. Look to build bridges, not burn them. 
we've become very good as a church and as pastors at burning bridges, especially on social media. Before people get to know us, before they know our hearts, we'll state this and that and all these other things. And people are like, we don't want anything to do with those people. You know, if we're not careful, you know what we're going to be known as? Or what we're against rather than what we're for. That's a big deal. I pray that people know what we're for rather than what we're against. Uh, but it goes back to that idea. We, we know all these sins and all these things we don't want to do. We're against this, this, and that, and all those things. But people don't ever hear what we're for, and that's life through Jesus. Is it true, Tyson, you guys are against abortion? Yes, we're going to protect the sanctity of life. Is it true you're for the sanctity of marriage? Uh, marriage is between a husband and a wife? Yes, but we are not against these things of this world. We are for life in Christ more than what we're against. Amen? So we need to be very careful what people see and what they hear, what we lead with. Is it true we're uh, not wanting to have any part of sin in our lives? Absolutely. But more importantly than that, people need to know we are for the Savior who can save any and everyone from their sins, including mine. And we need to connect them to their need after we care for them. You can see it in Jesus' story here. He knew this woman. He knew the truth. He could have connected the dots and condemned her, but he didn't. He could have went up and said, you trashy woman. You've been with five men and the guy you're with now is not even your husband. You need to repent or you're going to burn in hell. He could have done that. It wouldn't have been false. But did he do that? No. He says, we both have a need. We're both thirsty. And then he connected it to something of great value, the living water. Look what he says in the text. In fact, she's like, hey, notice she's in a conversation with him now because the next line is from her. But sir... You don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where will you get the living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us the well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? We have to be very careful. In this text alone, we see her ready to have a conversation, and then she's like, do you think you're better? Guys, if we're not careful, you know what the world sees us as? They think we're better. We are just sinners who have been saved, pointing another sinner uh, to the direction of how they can be saved. Don't think you're any better. She's like, do you really think you're better? He's like, Jesus was better, but he didn't go there, did he? Look back to the text. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never thirst again. He takes it back to their common need. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, this woman says, give me this water. Then I'll never thirst again, and I won't have to come here to get water. She's like, please, I don't ever want to come here at noon uh, again to get water on my own. It's, it's a terrible task. She still thinks it's very physical. She hasn't seen yet that it's eternal. It's spiritual. And then Jesus, in the next few verses... And you can study it on your own today. He reveals to her that he's the Messiah based on the fact he knows all these details about her. And she says, you are the Messiah, I believe. And she begins to place her faith in Jesus. And she goes on to tell her friends, all, all in the, the cities around there, and everyone that would listen, she would tell them that Jesus knew her, Jesus cared for her, and Jesus can give life to everyone. But the connecting point was the fact they both had a thirst not just for water of this world, H2O, but, but a, a, a thirst for a living water that is eternal life. There comes a point when you're around someone long enough, you'll know what they thirst for. 
A lot of people thirst for money, for power, for enjoyment, for uh, happy, fun times. Uh, a lot of people just at some point just thirst for peace. Uh, there's a point when your friends you're hanging out with, you'll know what they thirst for, and you can tell them and it's found in Jesus. And there's got to be a point we connect it to the gospel, that he can provide the peace and the hope we're looking for. And here's the gospel, and you can all do this. You can, in some, in your own words, you can share this truth, that we were all created to know God and be in relationship with him. But because of our sin, we flawed our image. We're no longer perfect. And because of that, our relationship is distant. But God sent his son Jesus to restore our relationship and how we are. To take our sin on himself. And he died on the cross taking our punishment, our shame, and our sin. And he overcame that. Because three days later, he arose from the grave, the victor over sin and death. And now he's on the throne in heaven waiting for anyone and everyone to come to him and say, Father, forgive me through Jesus. And we can be made new. You can tell him that basic story. And many people are ready to respond. So let me ask you, who is the Holy Spirit leading you to care for today? To talk to, to be gentle with, to listen, to have a pot roast sandwich for a year. That's not great on the diet, but it's good, okay? Who is going to come in your life this week in a point where you just want to get through the moment and you're going to end up praying with them or just saying, I will pray with you? Who is the Holy Spirit leading you to connect with, to care for? And pray that God would give you an opportunity to grow out with the gospel. Here's another piece of advice, and it's true of me as well. We need to stop expecting people all of a sudden to become a Christian, just start acting like Christians before we tell them about Jesus. And we need to start expecting non-believers to have conversations and then tell them about Jesus, the one who can change everything. A lot of times we, we will ask somebody to come to our lives into church and we're like, why aren't they acting like Christians? They don't know. They've not been changed. So we've got to be patient and care for them and have conversations connecting the truth. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I'm one of those people. I've been invited. I was here on Easter. I'm here today and I'm ready to be changed. In just a minute, you're going to see a young lady be immersed and have her life changed. That could be you as well today. Maybe you've been here for a while and you're an immersed believer. Uh, you've been faithful to Jesus your whole life and you want to be a part of this team because you know the church should be growing out. We'd love to have you part of the team. Whatever decision you have today, man, we're ready to walk with you. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father in heaven, I thank you for today. Lord, lead uh, just the right time, everyone here, to, to be cared for and connect to the good news of Jesus as we grow out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.